Yeah, it's like a six-foot fence, and I have, like, reed fencing I put on up on the inside, and we've got loads of succulents and stuff like that. I had That's all these plastic uh, tubs like that that yeah. we moved with. Didn't know what to do with them, so I set them up outside as sort of like a, a, a ledge. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I got to do something like that out here, because, I, one, I want to learn how to grow things, because uh-huh. I've never Without done that. Without killing them? Well, yeah. I've killed cactuses. Yeah. Like I, someone's like, "How do you kill a cactus?" I'm like, "I don't know. I did it." <laughs> Comfortable. Hey, all right. Yeah. All right. Anything else that you need before we start? If anything, you want to take a break. You have to go to the bathroom. You want another beer? Just it's very casual. So just okay. let me know. Oh, cool. We can pause and edit whatever we want. I'm cool. Um, give me a little. Hey, how are you? So I can make sure your volume's good. Hi there. How are you doing? Cool. Give me a little more. Hello there. Hello there out there in Radio Land. Oh, there we go. That sounds perfect. <laughs> All right. So you're going to ask me a bunch of questions and stuff? Yeah, so what we'll do is I'll do a little introduction. Okay. Um, do you like to be called Dave Sweeney or do you like D. Clement? Oh, no. D. Clement Sweeney is just a funny thing I put on for Facebook. All right. Dave. All yeah, right. Dave Sweeney. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about the Boston Connection. Okay. Um, maybe the punk scene and then sure. your art. For sure. Okay. And then we'll just kind of get into whatever we get into. Okay. Awesome. All right. All right. Well. All right, y'all. Welcome to this week's episode of Ducking Reality. Today in the house, we have my friend Dave Sweeney. What up, Dave? How you doing? Good. I met you and your lovely wife, Rosie, through... I don't know if it was really through the bars or through kind of the mutual friends we've made here on the island. Well, I think it... Uh it was a little mix. It might have been uh, maybe when uh, Dawn was working up over at the fireside. I think I remember meeting you up over there and, uh, of course, over at uh, the Benton. Yeah. But, yeah, through the bars. Yeah. Which is kind of a unique experience because uh, well, when we lived in L.A., when Rosie and I moved to L.A., it's not really like that there. No? You don't have – I mean, for some folks, I'm sure it is, but the way it was with us, we lived in Alhambra, which is you know a, a city kind of uh, just south of Pasadena. And most of the people we hung around with lived in either Long Beach or Garden Grove or any of those uh, kind of eastern suburbs outside L.A. or East L.A. and those areas. So we would all kind of gravitate to Long Beach and those areas. And so that's kind of what you do in L.A. You know, you live in one place, but you do all your stuff in another place. Yeah, because everyone in L.A. drives like all over the time, all over the place and spends like hours in their car. Yeah, here it's more like <laughs> Minneapolis, where you have your favorite local bars you go to. Mm. You yeah, because you've lived all over the place. Well, I mean, give us honestly, a little bit of your origin story. Well, I grew up. A, I grew up outside of Boston. I was. Uh, I grew up in a town called Cohasset. That's why we love each other so much. We're yeah. both from Boston <laughs> or Boston area. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, I grew up uh, just on that three A corridor, and um, you know, when I got to. Being a certain age, I started getting restless and not wanting to hang around in Cohasset. Because Cohasset's really like a little kids. beachy town for people that yeah, don't know it. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like that. Yeah, but it's, it's very blue blooded. Mm. Yeah, very, it's, it's uh, not like a rich, rich part of the Cape, but it's, it's like an affluent part. <laughs> I guess affluent would be a nice way to, to put it. Um, the the street we lived on was called Jerusalem Road. It ran along the yeah, it ran along the the, the shoreline, and that's where all the industrial 
captains of industry, you know, those, those people um, built their summer cottages, as they called them, which oh. were basically like 20-room mansions. Yeah. So there's still a bunch of those down there. And God knows who lives in them now, but oh. like all the garks of some sort. But oh. so, you know, yeah, there was very blue blood. It's fine. I, I just didn't fit in down there. So I started gravitating, you know, towards going in town as soon as I, uh, you know, going up to Harvard Square and going to, to Newbury Comics, going to the different nuggets and different record stores and seeing flyers up saying all these certain bands are playing. Once you go down to these Sunday matinees, I discovered those. When I was about, I don't know, 16, 17, I started going to those. You know, the channel in South Boston. Uh, I think that's a little before my time. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was right on the Fort Point channel. I mean, that whole area has changed now. It's oh, all yeah. hotels and stuff. But back then, it was all, there was like the old Neko candy factory oh, yep. was down there and a whole bunch of uh, disused lofts that a lot of, they rented them out to art, artists and stuff. And the, the channel was a great place. Uh, you know, they had uh, these Sunday matinees. You'd go down and you'd spend like five bucks. You get in and you see a bunch of punk bands. That's awesome. So that's kind of how I got into it, you know. And, uh, yeah, so then I just started hanging around in Boston. That's my origin story, really. Yeah. Because <laughs> you were around Boston, in, and that's like the late 70s, early 80s, right? Yeah, I probably started going to, I, I probably started going to shows in, in 84, around then. Ooh. You know, when I was in high school. There was a lot of cool stuff I wish I'd seen before that, but I just... I was too young. I didn't have the wherewithal. The idea of going to some of these places was just completely alien to me. I just happened to meet. Uh, I was I was with a friend of mine on on vacation with his parents, and I met this other kid. We were at this like lake resort, and he he and I both like punk rock, and so we just sat and sat for hours talking about punk rock. He's like, "You got to go to these all ages shows," and you know, I was like, "Okay, sure," you know. Um, and so I went, and I was terrified. <laughs> But, I can't imagine you being terrified of well, anything. I was I was kind of a different kid in high school. I, you know, I was just sort of the, the pudgy kid that got picked on a lot. Well, you get to a place like that, and it's like everybody felt, you know, you, everybody was a square peg. Right. And there were no round holes. It was just all square pegs. And I was just like, okay, I can deal with this. Yeah. Plus, the, the music had a certain level of... Uh, Sometimes anger, sometimes exuberance. It, it just it just fit. You know, I dovetailed, and that was it. You know. Yeah, you <laughs> kind of found your groove then. I guess so. Yeah, I guess you could say that. And it was still back when you know. Um, oh Christ, we were in a. I was back when you, you we were sitting in an IHOP or something once and uh, eating, or maybe it was a friendlies or something like that. I was with a bunch of my friends. They were all a bunch of goofy goth and punk kids from the suburbs. You know. And this guy comes over and he, as, as the lady's taking our order, he says, they'll take their food to go. He had that, that Boston accent. Yeah. And I remember he had the white hair and the red face, you know, you know. I do. And he was sitting with his family and we're like, we're sitting here. He's like, no, you're going to take your food and you're going to get out of here. Because I don't want to have to look at you and I don't want your kids to be, my kids to be looking at you either. And he pulls out a badge. Yeah. <laughs> Boston's finest. Yeah, and he just kept getting meaner and meaner. Finally, we just left because, you know, we're like, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, stuff used to happen all the time. It's kind of weird, you know? Do you think the hate towards the goth and, like, punk kids was from the satanic panic of the time? Or do you think it was just because you guys had, like, the audacity to, like, be different? Well, I think it's the audacity to be different. As far as the satanic panic you're talking about, there were definitely kids that I knew whose parents freaked out like that. 
assume their kids were like doing drugs and Satanism. Um, and at least one or two kids that I knew got sent off to, uh, those Christian, uh, deprogramming schools. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I don't, I don't even know if those are legal now anymore. They may become legal pretty soon, but, uh, you know, yeah, it's just a, it was kind of a, I mean, it was a great way to, I mean, it was a great way to grow up just in general, but, you know, I think just, you already felt marginalized anyway, so this made it official. Right. And then plus people were scary on the subway. As you know, I got bigger and angrier as I got older and, you know, my shaved head and my Dr. Martins and this is, you know, a perpetual scowl on my face and me and all my friends and people get up and move. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a, you know. Kind of a power play I, in yeah, some it ways. Just felt, I guess it felt, yeah, I guess, I guess it sort of did. But, you know, that was just kind of how it was, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Because you were big in the, the punk scene, like the rat and... Yeah, Skeller. yeah, yeah. We did. We went with the Raskeller, the Rat, and I got to know the kids hanging out in front of it in Kenmore Square. You know, this this kids skate skater kids and stuff like that, and the punks are hanging out in there, and we started getting along with them. You know, everyone was super standoffish at first, but once you get past that initial sort of sort of attitude, everyone was super cool, and we all. We were all rejects. None of us knew what the hell was going on. You know, we just, we we were there for the music. We were there for the camaraderie. And some people were there to get in trouble. But the thing was, most of us, we got in stupid trouble, just like anybody else. But, you know, yeah, sure, there were sociopaths and all over the place. And there were crazy people that we knew. But most of us weren't. Right. You know, most of us were pretty normal, despite, you know, the the eye makeup or the shaved heads or the tattoos or the attitude. It was, that was all just sort of, we're just acting out of frustrations, you know? Yeah. One of my cousins went like super punk when we were in teenage years and he had like, he'd grown his hair out and like would spike it all out in like those 18 different spike ways with like super glue and shit. <laughs> oh, was it an older cousin of yours? No, well, younger now. No, he's about my age. Oh, okay. So. I was to say, I probably knew him if he was back in the eighties. Yeah. You probably know some of my other cousins. They're all older. <laughs> There's a lot of them. <laughs> so you grew up in uh, Bromley Heath, right? My me? mom did. Okay. My mom grew up in Bromley Heath, uh, which was a, a set of projects back in Jamaica Plain. And then my yeah. dad grew up across the street in a triple decker. Oh, okay. okay. I had to explain to someone what I, I, a triple decker. I, was, I had to explain to someone what a triple decker was, and they were like, "Isn't that just condos?" And I was like, "No, no, it's a house." <laughs> Probably a lot of them are now. And that, yeah, now they are, which seems crazy to me that you own an apartment in a house. Like, <laughs> oh, they used to say, you know, hey, you know, you don't study hard, you're just going to end up like some asshole living in a triple decker in Dorchester. Yeah. Well, there's lawyers and doctors now living. In, I can say oh. I can say bad words on this. Oh, yes, I, you can. Okay. good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah you know some jerk sitting that's what we used to say you know you can be some hump living in a three-decker in dorchester well the people living in three-deckers in dorchester you know th those are million dollar homes now oh yeah it's they're amazing. crazy it's amazing to see like i was just home uh like three weeks ago and my dad took me picked me up and we're driving through southie to get back to west roxbury and i'm like where are we I'm like i didn't recognize half the buildings down there they were all new and then yeah. a couple of days later, my brother and I were out with his kids, and he was. I was like, I don't even recognize half this stuff, and he's like, me either. And I'm down here all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, it's like for a while I lived in Dorchester. I lived in, over by uh, Savin Hill. Mm-hmm. I mean, they used to call it Stabbing Kill. Kill. Yep. Just off of Dodd Ave over the Dorchester Avenue. And it was mostly uh, Cambodians lived over there. Yeah. And then you, you know, then it was sort of like uh, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, and then there was black people lived over here. And then that all the angry Irish. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other day someone was making a comment about how everyone from Boston was racist. And I was just like, you better watch your mouth. And I was like, I could feel my accent sliding out because it doesn't come out a lot. But I was so kind of offended. And I, I can't be because Boston does have a really racist reputation. Yeah. But when I, what I said to him is like, to me, growing up, it was all more social economic than it was race. Like all the kids that lived in the same neighborhoods hung out with each other and didn't have a problem with each other. Sure. And, you know, it's interesting you say that because uh, from where I say the social economic, unfortunately, the way – you know, the society and the economy was rigged. It was always rigged, you know, against black people. Yep. Um, you know, so it was. And, it, you know, there was, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's unfair to say that everybody that grew up, that, that was from Boston is racist, obviously. Um, right. But bad- the system was very much racist. Oh, yeah. And we lived in that. And um, it, for a lot of us, it was what we understood. And, you know, especially I lived in the suburbs, you know, and. Our, you know, we had we had a, th- a thing called the Metco program. Yep. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, it still goes on. Yeah, and you know, it was just taking kids from some of the tougher neighborhoods and bringing them into the suburbs. I don't know why they couldn't just equip the the the, the urban schools with the same kind of resources that you know in uh, you know say up in Roxbury that they had down at Cohasset instead right. of just picking the kids up from Roxbury and sending them down to Cohasset. Right. I mean, they were all they were all great kids, and you know, they were. All, I mean. You had to have a set up level of self-discipline because these kids had to get up at four o'clock in the morning. They had to come down. They had to deal with us little white kids. And, you know, like even the friendliest ones are the ones that treated them. It seemed to me at the time, treated them like they were like, you know, sort of jungle animals, like you know, they were exotic. You right. Know? Um, and it, it, it's just, I don't think everybody was like that. But, you know, then there were the other kids that were just straight up racist and they'd, they'd mutter the N word under their breasts as they walked by. And of course, all the, you know, of course, these, these, especially the young boys had come down and as soon as they got there, you know, it was all the, the, the sports coaches were all right. over them, you know? Yeah. Let's get you on the basketball team. We need that kid on the, on the football team. You know, it's just like, you know, that, that was the expectation of yep. these kids, you know. So that was a lot to go through. So, you know, if you're willing to put up with that for an education, you know, you it takes a lot of that takes a lot of gumption. I don't think a lot of the, the white suburban kids had. Right. Oh, no, no, I don't think so. But Yeah. Yeah, in Boston it was the same thing. We couldn't like I couldn't go to the school to, around the public school around the corner from the house. I would have gotten bussed across uh like forty five minutes or a bus and two trains or two buses and a train to go to any school. Yeah. So my parents opted to do private school, which I can't complain about, but it was mostly white kids that I went to school with. And then you, in my everyday life, like being at my grandmother's house, I'd be like the only white kid in the neighborhood. <laughs> would you go to Our Lady of Self-Flagellation High School or something? Basically, yeah. I went to um, St. Teresa's in West Roxbury, which is like a small Catholic school. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a little bit of diversity, but not much. And then I went to an all-girls private school in Newton for high school. Ooh, what was that? Which one was that? Uh, Mount Alvernia. I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, they just closed. They um, they had two options to sell the property because uh-huh. it was privately owned. It was uh, the nuns owned the school. There was like a nunnery in the back where retired nuns would live. Uh huh. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. we'd be sitting in class and we'd be listening to the nuns in the next room doing sweating to the oldies. 
<laughs> or one would get loose and we'd have to stop class to go look for her on the campus. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, for, 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 for a couple of years, I, I was, I was very much, um, a, you know, an ADD kid mm. and my parents didn't know what to do with me. So they decided that, uh, I needed to, uh, get into a structured environment for a while. So they sent me to a private school in Newton ah. called Fessenden. You oh, ever heard of it? Yes. Yeah. And that place, that was a meat grinder. Was it? Well, we had to, you know, you were, you wore a jacket and tie all day to, to, to school, and the, the teachers could, could kick the crap out of you, oh, and yeah. they did. Mm. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a hell of a place for to send an adolescent boy who can't really, like, uh, concentrate on schoolwork or anything like that to, because, you know. As soon as you, it, it's like it's like you know if you put a put a one legged chicken in with the in, in the chicken coop, the, the chickens go at him. Yeah, that was kind of what it was like. <laughs> but that's why you, you Newton we both went to private school in Newton. Yeah, that's wild. We keep finding little yeah trails to each other. Yeah, for, <laughs> dovetails for sure. So when you finished high school, where did you go? Well, I did. Um, I did a I did a year at UMass Boston mm-hmm. um, in theater program. But yeah, just uh, it wasn't it wasn't my thing really. I I was into theater and everything like that, and maybe I just didn't have the self discipline to keep studying. So I, uh, you know, I just kind of dropped out and went to work mm. and uh, started working. And yeah, you know, of course I was hanging around, you know, going to, you know going to shows at night, and you know I spent a while out there. I got myself into a band after a few years, um, into a ska band. Oh, nice. And, uh, singing for a ska band and we did a we had a pretty decent run i mean we we got on a couple compilations and um we played a lot with the mighty mighty boss tones and the toasters and bands like that you know kind of went to new york a few times to play and you know it was it was it was fun you know i don't think you know it it lasted maybe about two years and then Mm -hmm. by that time Things were getting a little more action-packed than I like out in Boston, um, so I moved to Minneapolis. Just <clears throat> did you just pick Minneapolis? <clears throat> excuse me, did you just pick Minneapolis out of nowhere? Or well, I, I had a friend. Um, well, I mean, a roommate was dating a gal that was from Minneapolis, and um, she'd always said, "Why don't you come out and visit?" And I got a hold of her. And I was ready to go just about anywhere, so I was like, you know. I need to get out of here, and I was thinking maybe Seattle or New Orleans, or even L.A. or San Francisco. And um, she said, "Come out to Minneapolis." I went out to Minneapolis, and um, what I liked about it, I guess, it was the summertime. You really had to try not to have a job out there. I mean, mm. there, there was work everywhere, um, opportunity everywhere. Um, this is before I realized how bad the winters were, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I got along. I, I met some people I got along with them really well. Um, a, lot, a lot of the punks out there, and uh, a lot of, you know, some of the skinheads, and you know, that crew out there. I got, got in with those guys, and uh, I, was, I was 25, 26. And I, you know, I stand one day, I went to, I went to bed, and the next day I woke up, and I'd been there for, you know, 25 years. And, wow. And I was married. <laughs> and, uh, can, I, can I go back to one thing? Because you just yeah. referenced being a skinhead. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I want to make sure that we kind of define that because I think, especially in today's world, that oh, sure. can be a dangerous thing to kind of, of label course. yourself. Of course. Well, you know, 
And I think it's just an interesting thing that I think people don't talk about. Sure, sure, sure. Um, where do I start with this? I've, I've spent so many years just being like, I'm not going to explain myself to anybody that, you know. So it's it's basically, you know, it's it's, it's about music, and, you know, soul music, reggae music, a lot of old punk and stuff like that. It's a it's a style, you know. It's a there's a whole th- it's a whole way of life. It's a there's a style that goes to it, right? Um, you know, it's kind that of has a, nothing to do with race. Uh, no, absolutely not. And that's absolutely the only kind not. of part and I wanted to put out. Yeah, that's abs- that's the most important thing is you know, the style originally came from the '60s and it was working class white British kids trying to emulate the style of the Jamaican, the slick style of the Jamaican kids they saw the Jamaican rude boys at the and they loved going to the dance clubs and listening to the the reggae that come over from you know from Jamaica and also this was a you know during the day they wore the Doc Martin work boots and they they you know they kind of had a but they had a they had a kind of a, a real pressed down sort of straight laced style about them, which in the late sixties was a great contrast to the hippies, the flowing and the mods, you know, right. the, the, the paisley scarfs and the flowing bell bottoms. And then you'd see these guys, you know, these kids walking, walking around. I think that's uh, a big part of it. Um, and of course, because they had also got into the football terraces at the time, it was, you know, this, these are huge white working class neighborhoods in an economically challenged time in an economically challenged country, you know, Britain in the late 60s, of course. And so, you know, it was easy. They were easy cannon fodder for the nationalist or, you know, National Front and organizations like that who saw an opportunity. You know, so these kids might have listened to black music, but a lot of them were... Were, and their parents were disaffected and felt disenfranchised. And, you know, it was an easy sell. Look at these Pakistanis and look at these Jamaicans coming and taking your jobs. That's, you know, we all know it's a bunch of horse shit. Right. But it was, it was an easy sell. And so that when that fashion kind of went out of mode in the early 70s and came back in the, the mid-70s with the punk explosion, these this new crop of skinheads were, you know, yeah, like, you know, they're easy, easy fodder for the, uh, the, the white nationalist groups there. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how that, you know, that this sort of more militarized look that came out of that. And you've seen it, you know, the, yep. the fatigues and the bleached jeans and the, you know, that, that whole, that whole thing, it, it was to great effect, right. you know, and it scared people. And then that, that's kind of how it leached over the United States. Um, and it's sad because I've known some Nazi skinheads. I knew some people I hung around with, some guys I hung around with when we were in our 20s that just went that way, which is really sad. You know, I don't talk to them anymore, obviously. But most of the people I've hung around, pretty much everybody, I've, anybody I've been friends with, let's put it that way, were anti-racist. Right. You know, um, I... I couldn't deal with people, you know, how can you hang around with somebody that hates, first of all, hates people because of the color of their skin. And second of all, how can you, how could I, what do I have to talk to you about? Right. You know, like, what, what do we have in common? You know, everything about you is based on the fact that you hate people that don't look like you. And believe me, when I tell you from having known a few of these people, that's it. 
That's all there is. It's a one-trick pony. Everything revolves around hate, you know? Yeah. They may talk that they were just trying to be positive about our race. No, it's always about hate for them. And as far as, you know, the skinhead subculture goes, that wasn't what it was about. Right. And most, uh, pretty much everybody I know is virulently anti-racist in that scene. They don't put up with it. They won't tolerate it. And that's the way it should be. Yeah. In all of life, I think. Now, I'm 56 years old. So, I mean, I've been doing it for a long time now. So, I mean, obviously, I don't know. Um, it's hard. It's hard to really kind of explain to somebody. Well, you're a grown man. What the hell are you doing? It's like you don't see me walking around. You know, I I, I go to work. I, I I do my thing. Has you know, it's a lot of the people that I know that I know skinheads that are lawyers. I know skinheads that are physicians. Yep. Um, I know guys skinheads who are um, you know mechanical engineers, um, aerospace engineers. You know, it's 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 about the music. It's about the style. It's about the camaraderie in that in that scene. This group of people, even now, we all know each other around the country, right? Like, and we we get together, you know, a couple times a year at different band fests. We're always the same people. We know them. We know the guys from the bands. You know, and it's it's great. I I wouldn't trade it for anything in my life. And I'm lucky enough to have married a gal who's, you know, she's from Australia and she's into the same thing. So yeah. Do you all meet in Minneapolis? Yes, we did. Uh, we met at a friend of mine's party. Mm. Uh, and uh, I was actually engaged to be married to a, a, another young lady. <gasps> Scandalous. Uh, well, was, well <laughs> you know, I, obviously I was, I was there and I was, I, I, was, I was strutting around crowing about the fact that I had just gotten engaged. Um, and uh, a buddy of mine came rolling in. Uh, well, old skin skinhead buddy of mine he came in with a bunch of these younger skinheads that i'd never seen before and i and then there is this woman this uh, and i said i said who are you i've never seen you before and she turned around she went hello i'm rosie with this australian accent sort of sounded like bruce the shark (laughs) oh my gosh where the hell have you been hiding (laughs) you know i was engaged and I'm not a scumbag, so right. I was just like, well, it's really nice to meet you. And I remember grabbing my buddy Steve, we brought him over. And I said, Steve, where the hell did you find this one? And he shrugged, and I said, well, okay. And then the relationship that I was in went sideways. Not too long after that, which shows that I probably didn't have the best uh, decision-making faculties at the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it uh, happens to the best of us. Yes, I, I suppose it does. I've, I've, I know some friends have gotten some way weirder stuff, but um, with their, you know, friends. But that, that, that split up, and then um, I ran into Rosie one night, and I don't know. Over the time, we we started hanging out, and I don't know. The rest is history. Mm. You know, I don't want to get too much into it, but yeah, you know, no, yeah. you two are perfect together. I mean, or from the outside. Oh, we, we drive each other ape shit, but that's, you know. Yeah, but you can tell that. You're I like, love her. Yeah, you're like an old, like, you seem like you're a couple that, an old married couple. You're an old married couple, god damn it. Yeah, we are. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's great. Um, which one's the side of the left brain is the, which one's left brain and right brain? Which is the, which side's the practical one? Uh, I, I believe left brain is practical. So she's the left brain. And you're right. right. 
Yeah, I'm the I'm the right brain missing the frontal lobe. <laughs> so you know, I'm 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 Peter Griffin to her lowest, definitely. Oh wow! <laughs> but uh, it, it works though. We, we have a good time. Yeah, you know she's the she's the smart. I like to say she's the smart one of the bunch. Um, but yeah, we 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 moved in together, and um, when after her uh, her son went off to college, we we moved in together, and then after a couple of years, I asked her to marry me nice. and, uh, my at my buddy's house one night, and uh, in front of a bunch of friends, and uh, we had a wonderful wedding at a barbecue joint in Minnesota. It was nice. Great. It's not there anymore, but. Um, yeah, we had the whole, the reception was great. Everything was 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 amazing. And then, not too long after that, um, maybe about a year after that, my wife comes to me one day and says, "How would you like to move to Los Angeles?" And mm-hmm. she could tell the full story. She probably told you a story. But the next thing I know, we were out here. Oh wow! We were out in California, living in Los Angeles, and then we ended up coming up here. Nice. I'm we glad you up. did. Yeah. Likewise. <laughs> likewise, I like Alameda. Yeah, it's, it's a nice little town. It is. It kind of like pulls, draws you in once you've been here for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, and it's like anywhere else. There's all this. You know, the, there's a the weird little incestuous shit you see going on. Oh yeah, um, like any small town. But it, there, it's a, there's a vibe of it that reminds me a little bit of where I grew up on the East Coast, outside of Boston, um, only with palm trees. Mm. Yeah, I think maybe that's why it feels kind of homey to me too. Is because yeah. it it's like it's eclectic. It's pretty diverse. It's near the beach. It really is. Like we have great food. I mean, if you get yeah. into the bad habit, you don't leave the islands. <laughs> I, I I fully embrace that. By the way, do you? Um, yeah. Well, I, I do like that. It, it is surprisingly diverse. Right. Yeah, everybody, just a lot of people I know that used to live out in the Bay Area that don't anymore. And I tell them I live in Alameda. It's like, well, isn't that like white bread town? It's like, not really? I'm like, Mm-mm. no, it's not really. Not so much anymore. Um, you know, it's it's it, it, it's bougie land, but it's definitely yeah. not uh, white bread out here anymore. Or at least not the way it probably was. Oh, yeah, I'm sure know, it used to be. Before it was a Navy town. But, um, yeah, I love it. I love that, you know, we... We joined the Alameda Eagles. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're part of the Eagles. We, we go to the Benton. We got our favorite dive bars. Not even really dive bars, honestly, you know. Yeah. It's a, it's a term of affection. Yeah. I mean, 13, you know, Fireside, Benton, of course. Yeah. There are watering holes. How about that? And then, you know, we, we got our own tiki bar. We got Forbidden Island. And you are huge into tiki. Yeah, we can get we can get on to that. <laughs> how um, did you? Yeah, how okay. do you become? It, it, what did? What did? So I didn't know about this tiki culture until I moved out here. Okay, and I still have not been to the tiki bar here. I had a bad really? experience. Well, I went to go during the pandemic, and when they had the outside part oh, set up, geez. and yeah. I walked up, and there was a bunch of empty tables, and I said to the girl, like, "Hey, can I grab a table?" And she was like, "How many in your party?" And I said, "Oh, it's just me." And she looked at me and said, "Yeah, we don't do that." And I yeah. just didn't even know what to say or do, so I just kind of looked at her and I was like, "Excuse me," like, and she was like, "Yeah, we don't, we don't do that." And I was just like, "Oh," and I turned and walked away. Yeah. I'm not one to usually back off, but I also like, well, you it's know, awkward it, enough being it, on your it own. It really wasn't like that before the uh, the pandemic, and you know, I'm not, I'm not Michael, and I'm not speaking for Michael, the owner. You know, he's right. a great guy, by the oh, way. Oh, I'm sure I've heard and, wonderful uh, things. You know, he's very dedicated to the thing. I think there's maybe that was part part of the problem during the pandemic is like. Everybody was flying blind, right? Right. 
everybody's just trying to do the right thing. And I know that they were trying to do the right thing. But yes, there was a there was there was there was a joke going around people that like to go there that they started calling it Forbidding Island for a minute. <laughs> and you know, look, okay, that's not fair because they were just trying to make the place safe for people to go in. And a single and, girl sitting at one table is definitely unsafe. Well, they I think that what it was probably was that um they wanted to have reservations for people and they had time limits and things like that. They wanted to control the crowd going in. And yeah, did did it that occasionally get a little weird? Yes, it did. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, oh yeah, I've heard some stories, which is again, it's just when you're in that weird spot, you're just trying to figure it out. Yeah, I'm sure. Safe. But, you know, um yeah, because but on the other hand, you know, you don't want to lose your business because of somebody getting sick there. Right. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it, it was. I mean, a lot of other places just stayed closed. Right. Um, I love the fact that they had drinks to go. That was great. But it, Forbidden Island is a great place. It's small. Um, it's such a great vibe. I don't even like sitting out on the patio. I like sitting inside. Yeah, I definitely want to go back and check on it. And Rosie and I have talked about us going. Oh, it's a and, date. You're yeah. coming with us. Oh, definitely. Um, you'll love. We love the servers. We love the owners. We love all the people. That work I've met there. one of the managers several times at Fireside or maybe one other bar, mm-hmm. but and like just on a kind of oh hey yeah what's up We're, I'm in that industry right. too. I mean he seems like a super nice guy. I just haven't been back. There. Right. Yeah. I also I, work I, a I lot. love having him there, but you know I got into I've always been kind of into that type of stuff. Um, but I, I think when 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 we moved out to I I always liked oddities. Mm-hmm. I, was, I used to collect oddities and all kinds of crazy stuff and masks. Big into kind of tribal masks. All I right. got really into that and collecting. I used to have a whole wall. Well, you know, in Minnesota, I had a big mask wall, and I still have that in now. But you know, anytime I would find a cool mask, Tibetan, African, but mostly like you know, and a lot of like South Sea stuff, I really liked that. Anytime I'd find something cool, I'd try to, I, you know, if I found it at an antique store and I could afford it, I'd buy it and then go home and research it and find out what it, what it was all about. Awesome. So I didn't want to have something hanging on my wall. I had no idea what it was, was about, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I got into that. And when I was a kid, one of my favorite things to do, Siobhan, was to go to these places we had, um, these Polynesian restaurants. Mm-hmm. I think back in the 50s when... The suburbs were expanding. I think a lot of Chinese restaurants wanted to open up business out there, but decided that a good gimmick to attract people there, especially, you know, ex-servicemen coming back from the Pacific Theater and things like that, was to uh, set up the sort of fantasy-themed restaurant where you could sell your Chinese food. They call it Chinese, American, and Polynesian food. Right. Then they would have these insane structures on the front of their these facades on the front looking like a like a tiki longhouse with a big mask on the front of it and there was a place near where i grew up in cohasset and hingham in hingham there was a place called the the ocean kai and they had a fake palm tree sitting out front (laughs) and and they you came in and there was a big rock wall with a waterfall and a and a pond and um there was a little gift there was a little gift shop there at the front of it they just sold like weird little things like chinese trinkets and stuff like that all the waiters wore hawaiian shirts and they always had like martin denny or don ho playing in there you know yeah and it was it was great and when we were kids our parents would take us and they just 
get a couple poo-poo platters for the table. And then, you know, the moms would all sit at the table. The guys, the dads would all go into the bar and get a drink. And we'd run around the restaurant like little rats until somebody, <laughs> you know, until one of the managers would yell at us and, right. and say, go back to your table. And uh, it was great. You know, I just remember that. And it was, I remember it very fondly. When I came out to uh, L.A., I, I realized there was a big tiki culture out here. But I also realized I didn't have a ton of money to spend on all this stuff that I wanted. <laughs> um uh, and more so when I, when I came up here and I really love mid-century stuff. And I just thought one day while I was looking at this lamp and it was so cool and it was $400. And I thought to myself, why don't you just make it? Why don't you make oh. one? So I started messing around with that. And then one day everything closed. I couldn't even go to work. Doing gig economy stuff because the the pandemic hit. So idle hands do the devil's work. So I started making stuff. I started making old tiki and mid-century lamps, restoring stuff, finding stuff in the Salvation Army and upcycling, as they like to call it. And I got a Dremel and started carving scrap wood into masks and lamp bases and stuff like that. And it just sort of one thing led to another. And now I'm just, you know, I'm hooked. Right. Yeah, and they, they've been coming out amazing. Well, thank you. I really dig them. Thank you. i got a bunch that are going to be going up on my Etsy site this week. Ooh. After I come back from L.A. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but so there's a, there's, a, there's a tiki bar in Florida. It's got some of my lamps. Um, and there's, you know, some places in Vegas, Minneapolis, all over the place. People kind of like my stuff. So That's an amazing thing. I haven't done any of the tiki markets yet. Okay. I'm going to get into doing that, you know, and uh, I'm sure if when I do all those, all the, all those weird old guys that do it all the time will be eyeballing me like the new guy, but that, yeah. that's, that's kind of fun too. <laughs> Tiki people are weird, man. I can imagine. <laughs> I, I In a good know, way. Yeah. I don't know a lot of them, but we get some of the overflow from the Tiki bar here when, or people will mm-hmm. go there and because they were so strict on their time limits, they'd come by the, by the bar sure. either before or after. And some of it's super nice, but very weird and very particular. Yeah. Some of them are, are peculiar. That's for sure. Um, I mean, honestly though, let's be honest. If you get to a certain age, why aren't you being peculiar? What do you what do you what do you hold back for? Be weird. That's a true fucking statement. Be fucking weird. Like I didn't know there was a tiki subculture, but then again, like there's a subculture for everything. Sure. Like you'll find especially now with the internet, like you can find the people that are into like the specific things that you're into. Oh, so absolutely. Easily. Well, that's what I loved about LA. That it was like that only live action. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I love the tiki. I love that tiki culture or subculture. I love I I love how it kind of dovetails with the schlocky sort of mid sixties garage punk culture, which I really love. Mm-hmm. The hot rod culture and sort of the madmen mid century modern stuff. It all kind of you know if you look at a Venn diagram, it all kind of intersects, and that's the world I live in. Yeah, you know, in my mind, that's the world I live in, and you know, being in my fifties, walking around, yeah, I got leopard skin sneakers I wear out to the bar, you know. Yep. You, oh, I should grow up. Fuck you. 
Right. To, to, to grow up to what? To be lame? He was, to be beige? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I thought you would have grown out of your tattoos by now. I like, yeah, I thought you'd have been dead by now. Huh? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I actually said that to somebody. Yeah. Someone once told me that I would regret, like, I don't have a lot of tattoos. I have a few and they're all strategically placed because growing up, I was always told, one, I couldn't have them. Then my ex-husband was really not for or the tattoos. So I kind of stopped. Oh, or else I'd probably be covered almost as much as you. Not too late, babe. Oh, no. And I have one scheduled. I'm getting one, one done. I've just been playing with where I'm going to put it. Yeah. I really want to get Natasha from 13. She's amazing. Heard good things. Yeah. Heard good things. I go uh, I go to a tailor-made tattoo. Uh, it's my buddy, Bryn Taylor. He's got a shop down on the mission. Um, this guy I've known him for, you know, I've learned known him for 35 years. Yeah. He spent a little bit of time out in Boston. And he studied under this guy, Lyle Tuttle, who was one, who was one of the... Uh, premier classic tattoo artist that everybody you know his style yeah so he does that old kind of sailor style tattooing i like that well that's what he specializes in anyway he's he's across the board really good and uh, he's a great artist and a really nice guy so and if you're ever looking taylor mad tattoo folks all right maybe i'll have to get one from there (laughs) too shout (laughs) shout out on the shout out on the on the podcast yeah absolutely maybe he'll come talk to us about how we got into it sure because, yeah. yeah, I mean, I was, but when someone was like, you know, if you keep getting tattoos when you're old, nobody will be able to tell what they are. And I was like, good, the poor kid that has to wipe my ass can focus on what that used to be instead of the fact that he's wiping my ass. Like, at least it'll give him something, like, else to focus on. I'm like, if I'm that old, why would I give a shit? Like, <laughs> So is this going to be a nursing home employee or are you going to be a cougar and go straight for the... Uh, that is to be <laughs> determined. Maybe both. <laughs> Yeah. Also, you got uh, one of my uh, pieces of art on the wall over there. I do. Uh, my spy versus spy. Yeah, I love those things. The the, the velvet, the velvet art. I do. I want a bigger piece, of velvet piece from you. I just haven't decided like if okay. I need to commission something because growing up in Boston, remember when you would see on the corner the guys would be selling like rugs and the velvet Jesus paintings. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. I used to love those velvet paintings. Like, can... and they were velvet of everything, not just there was Jesus and Elvis and like. I can do whatever you want. Yeah, that's why I figured. But I was like, I need to figure out what I want. Like, if it's going to be I, something wacky, but in velvet. Yeah. Because I used to love those. Uh, one time, I think one of my uncles bought one for my grandmother. And, of course, she hung it up. Yeah. So then she had this big, ugly velvet painting in her living room. <laughs> We've got a few of them. We've got two matadors. Awesome. we got a giant matador, and we got a smaller one a buddy of mine gave me a few years back. And I got a Frankenstein. That Yeah. I think, didn't Pep just buy a Frankenstein one from you? Oh that! Oh yeah, she did. It's she not wanted, huge, was, but isn't that that's yeah? It's a, a florist. It's the it's the Frankenstein and the uh, Frankenstein, the Bride of Frankenstein, kissing. Yeah, and it's uh, it's painted with fluorescent paint, and then it's you know I, I overlaid velvet on it. I have a velvet. I I have a vinyl cutter at home. Oh nice! So I just make a vector design and I and I and I I paint it. I use a light table and I set it up and I just paint where the colors are with the. The fluorescent. That one was I, I used a printer on that one. Yeah. Um, so it didn't really come out uh, day glow. So, um, but the next one you do, if you want a day glow, I can do it. All right. Yeah. Definitely. Why wouldn't sure. I go the day glow route too? Yeah. Because you do both. So you build your lamps, and then you do a bunch of digital art and painting. And, yeah. Because you're just an art, an artist all around. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, this stuff is digital art. You know, this 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 velvet stuff is digital art. I make. Uh, you know, I make my up, up my own designs, and then I separate the black out, and I bring it in, and I just cut it on this uh, heat transfer vinyl, 
and I press it onto the the back of the, the the substrate there, right? And because obviously I don't, I don't have the room or the money for a a, a, a flocked printer like the you know they do in the posters. So they're small, but I can I can get them up to like you know twelve by twenty four if you want. Oh, nice! Like uh, twelve inch by twenty four. I could probably that's about as big as my cutter now tolerates. But you know if it keeps going, I'm probably going to end up getting like a big like a larger format cutter so I can do more stuff like that. Right. Uh, it's all about room though. Yeah. You're going to need a bigger studio. <laughs> yeah. You mean other than my uh, dining room table? Yep. Which is pretty much what I do now. <laughs> hey, well, if it works for you until it doesn't, you know, until you get too yeah. big for it, why be spending the extra cash on you, stuff? Oh yeah. Yeah. It, always, it, it already, you know, it's funny. Our whole house is a, a showroom for all the weird shrunken headlamps i did and you know they're on every shelf you know it's, right it's really it's really kind of funny <laughs> your house becomes your office showroom storage room everything swanky yeah swanky then our house yeah people come over and they're like wow this is really wild and weird i guess that was what i was going for right that's, you know yeah it's like you said why not be weird now yeah i mean what do i what do i got to be normal for you know, if I if it was up to me, I would have an entire room that was just covered in the black velvet paintings mm-hmm. and like crazy swag lamps and mm. stuff like that. Have you been you to know? Casanova in San Francisco? I don't think I have. No. Oh, you love it! I just went a couple of weeks ago for the first time, and they have velvet paintings all over the walls. Oh, nice! And it's like a seventies kind of vibe in there. Oh, cool! But the, all the the they're all black velvet paintings, and a lot of them are, are beautiful black women naked. <laughs> it's, yep. it's awesome. There, there's a place called the Velveteria. I don't know if it's still down. It's in downtown LA, and it was in this janky little storefront in China, on the edge of Chinatown, downtown LA. And it was called the Velveteria. This guy was a, it was a museum of oh. velvet paintings, and it was this weird older guy. Um, and he would just go down to Mexico and buy these things. And he had some of those naked. The reason I say is he had these 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 beautiful naked black women with the afros. You yep. know, the, and you've always seen those. But these suckers lit up. They had oh. little lights. Amazing. And, um, like there weren't even LED lights. I think they were like little micro Christmas lights because because it was before LED lights. Right. You know, the seventies, and they had a little battery pack, a little plug in. You could plug them in, and they'd sparkle. That's it was amazing. Nuts. And um, yeah, and then he had a whole back room that was full of uh, like glow in the dark ones. And it was nuts. We spent about an hour there and then talking to him. And, you know, he's he was just the kind of guy you would imagine that would open a, a velvet museum. Just right. Like, you know, 70 years old, like lived half the time of his life in a van, you know. Yeah. <laughs> May have been living in a van then, but was just super cool guy to talk to. And, Really kind of enjoyed himself. I hope he's still around somewhere. Yeah, those you're right because I always found those people the most intriguing and the most like, wait, what makes you tick? And like, how did you embrace your weirdness so much that you're like, I'm going to open a museum and yeah. of this one specific thing. And I love people like that. Life I love goals. people. Yeah, but I love people that have their own like that dance their own drummer kind of. Yeah, and don't give a shit. Yeah, you know, the only thing you should really give a shit in life about, honestly, is don't do anything that's hurting somebody else, you right. know? 
Uh, don't punch down. Always punch up if you're going to punch. Right. And you should punch up. You have never punched down on anybody. I had to learn this because, you know, I, I haven't always, you know, like anybody else, I haven't always uh, made the right decisions in life or treated everybody the way they deserve to be treated. Um, but I think when you get older, it's like, you know, why waste time being angry at everybody? It doesn't do any good. Mm-mm. You're only hurting yourself. Right. And they're, you know, look for the good in, in stuff. I know it sounds like such a hackneyed thing, especially. And I know it sounds sort of, it, it kind of kind of falls flat in a time when everything's as messed up as it is in the world. But, you know, if you focus on all that negative energy all the time, it really does start to mess with your head. Yeah. And uh, I know you're not, you're all about combating that. Yeah. And the things you do, which I admire about you. you yeah, because I think, I don't know, like, I just want to put good out in the world. Like, I think there's enough people out there putting bad in or just, yeah. like, to me, it, it takes more effort to me to be an asshole than it does to be nice. Right. And, and, and putting out that positive energy is a genuine middle finger to all the bullshit. Yeah. You know, everybody says, well, if you're walking around with the, your finger up going, fuck you to everybody, then that's negative. Like, no, if you're just saying fuck you to the negative stuff, you yeah. know, and that's that's what I am, you know, that's, that's, that's screw you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to walk around with an anti-Klan t-shirt, oh, does that offend you? Get away from me, right. you know, go away. Yeah, I had a guy the other day start talking about politics and Trump in the bar, and he was being super loud about it. Oh, and I was just like, yeah, we're not going to do that today. And he's like, excuse me? And I was like, no no politics or religion at the bar, like, common thing. Yeah. And he starts going, and then someone at the end of the bar is like, oh, I'm, I don't want to have to listen to that. And I'm like, no, we're not. And so I went back down to him, and I was like, yeah, still, again, end that conversation. Talk about anything else. I'm like, but we're not doing that tonight. He couldn't, could he? And he just couldn't stop. And like the guy that he was sitting next to was like, yeah, thanks. I don't want to get into that. And someone else was like, yeah, let's not do that tonight. Like it's just, and the guy kept trying. And I was just like, dude, there's the fucking door is right there. You know. And he just looked at me and I was like, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm trying to let you know that you're ruining the whole vibe of the, the, the bar right now. And his girlfriend finally looked at him and was like, can we just stop or go? It's sad because, you know, that's everything to them yeah you know um to to folks that it, it it's 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 sort of like well i was talking about you know when you run into neo-nazis everything is about that that's yep. their, their whole focus is on anger on aggrievement yeah this guy he came there specifically so he could stand there and scream into the void and everybody anytime somebody got offended it just validated him Right. You know, oh, I was trying to and, shut it down before it could it, even get to that point. Yeah. But it, it, he it, just wanted to, I think he wanted to offend someone. Yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. That's all, what it's all about. And he had, a, he had a sense of satisfaction when he finally left the bar. See, they, they're not even into any, any alternative point of, points of view. They're the real fascists. It's like, you know, remember that there's millions of those people in the world, in the country right now, and they vote. Yeah. <laughs> that means all of us have to do our due diligence and go vote. It's just it it it's sad um, because it's not even conservatism. It it's not even politics anymore, really. No, it's um, like a it's morality, slanted personality disorder. <laughs> well, whenever so I'm talking about racism and someone says don't talk politics, I'm like. No, I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about morality. I'm talking about common decency. That's not political. No. 
So never conf- they want you to conflate that with politics because that's how they get the votes by making making people think that um, I'm not articulating this very well, but sort of trying to channel their hatred into you know power. Right. And it's, it, anyway, yeah, I I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts on it, but. Sometimes when I start really thinking this stuff, it gets me amped up. I, I become a little inarticulate about it. Mm. You know? Well, yeah, because your brain starts firing off on all those oh. things and ways, and you're like, I should say this, and I got to get this out, but I also have to block that thought and or this, you know, path and that. And it's you, like you just get sucked in the vortex like everybody else. Yeah, and it's yeah. not anywhere I want to live. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Like I'll keep combating it the ways I know how, and hoping for, I don't know, like a. I was talking about this with someone else, and this is not what I'm actually hoping for. But it's almost like after 9-11, the whole country came together. Because, like, we had, like, we're the the generation behind us is one of the only generations that hasn't had, like, one big trauma episode. You know, like, we grew up, like, our family had world, the depression, or our grandparents had depression and World War II. And then there was Vietnam. And then there was, like, so there was, like, this whole community of the country moving through something together right? and knowing kind of that the minutiae of everyday life is kind of bullshit because there's bigger episodes and bigger like tragedies going on. And like we had had so much time between Nam and 9-11 that we started to get a little soft and 9-11 brought us all back together and was like, oh no, we're Americans. We have this ideal. This is what we want. And now it's like, we're gotten so far away from that again. Sure. It's like, do we need like a group? I mean, we have group tragedies every day with mass shootings, but somehow that doesn't have the same effect. Well, I think that, you know, unfortunately, we're heading to a... We we had... Well, the thing is, we did just have a massive Black Swan event, which was the pandemic. Mm. However... Instead of bringing people together, it just... It, yeah, it, and I think that that's something we need to think about in the future. There was also... The world wasn't as polarized during... Uh, or the political world in the United States... Mm. I should say, as society wasn't quite as polarized then as it is now. It was polarized, but it wasn't as polar. You know, it wasn't as polarized as it is now. And um, yeah, I don't know that another Black Swan event is going to bring everybody together. I don't either. I'm just saying, like, it's, isn't it kind of interesting that we've had those moments and they have up until the pandemic brought us together? Yeah, yeah. And I don't want it to be something like that that has to happen again, but. Something has to change, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we can't just keep getting more divided and more people can't just get more hateful for really no reason. <laughs> well, they shouldn't, but uh, I I think they're going to. Um, I, as far as I, as much as I want to be positive every day, as I just said, is also you know I I feel like you got to kind of circle your wagons and just look in inward to your community. And stop looking outward because outward, it's it's a mess. Right. Look after your own. And that sounds kind of grim to say it, but I that's just kind of how I, I feel about it. But it, I think if you did, but be. if you, it shouldn't be grim because if you look after your own and you take care of your community, then like that builds out. Like it if you should. take care of your neighborhood and the people next in the ne- neighborhood next door are taking care of their neighborhood and yeah. then you're both taking care of your town and then your community and then your city you know what i mean like it yeah. should ripple out in a good way instead of a bad way you hope it will yeah one one can only hope you know um i see a lot i see a lot of hope you know i see a lot, a lot of, of uh, younger people that 
aren't the uh, petulant little shits that their parents parents are. Um, whether it's my generation or the generation before, you know, but most of most of most of the people I know that I grew up with, they have kids. Their kids are going out to college, and some of the wildest ones. It's funny. Well, some of the people that I knew they were wild, and their kids were just feral little baboons when they were kids. Mm-hmm. Now those kids are now in college, and some of them are the smartest, most together, kindest people you'd ever want to be around. Yep. And um, I hope that those people are the ones that are going to be, you know, taking up the taking up the uh, the cause, you know, yeah, taking up the mantle or whatever. Um, those are the people you want to see in charge. So let's hope so. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Either that or we'll have to dose the whole country with some psilocybin. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a, actually, it's um, a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that can be our black swan moment. <laughs> everybody's tripping balls. <laughs> yeah. The, the war ended. <laughs> All the tanks are painted in purple and pink and green. We'll and go back to the hippie ways of flowers everywhere. And oh, boy. Well, okay. Yeah, it's not, it's not going to get too <laughs> oh, crazy yeah. here. No, I just took it too far. <laughs> yeah. No, <I> just... <laughs> you want another beer? I would love another beer. Back to the pod. Talk amongst <laughs> yourselves. A quick beer break. Oh, yeah. This is wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Nice and cold. What are you drinking over there? Um, water with lemon in it, which makes it look all oh, cloudy. Okay. And then this is a cider, Raspberry Cosmic Crisp, mm. two towns. I am a huge, I don't drink beer anymore. Well, very rarely now. Okay. I stopped drinking beer when I didn't want to be fat anymore. Okay. My mother told me that that would work. She was wrong. You still have to exercise. Right, yeah. But it did help me because I was drinking a lot of beer. I could drink like a 30 pack <laughs> in a weekend <laughs> or a night. My ex-husband yeah. and I used to grab a 30-pack of beer and sit and watch movies in our basement in the summer when it was cool. Yeah. And just drink, like, between the two of us, a 30-pack. Oh, wow. Which is not good. No, it's it, it makes for a good hangover. That was the problem, is I would never really be that hungover. I mean, I'm sure it probably did feel more like shit than I remember, but... Um, yeah, so I, saw, I gave up beer as one of the things, and then I gave up soda and, like, a lot of things and started to move my body. Yeah. I did it in water, which to start, which, because I was pushing 280 at one point. Oh, yeah. And I'm only 5'2. Wow. It's a lot of weight to be carrying. You're solid. Oh, I was very jiggly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, I just got, I got a recumbent bike. uh, Do you, I keep thinking about getting a bike. Well, yeah. Uh, Yeah. My my back went out on me. My my back has gone out on me and it's affected. how I walk and stuff now, so it, it which really sucks. But yeah, so I got the recumbent bike. So you know, I'm just I'm I'm hitting it every day, like you know, for like an hour in the morning, an hour at night, just That's trying a lot. to trying to get my uh, trying to get my leg strength, you know, get my my leg strength up again, and you know, just sort of get that sort of cardio thing going. Yeah, um, and because uh, walking became kind of a pain in the ass because of my back. Yeah, back injuries are the worst. <sighs> Yeah, it's no fun. It's it's no fun, and no. Uh, you know, I got my poor dog. I I, well, I take her. I put her in the car and take her to the dog park. You know, nice. Which is nice because she likes to run around and roll around. You can't really have her do that on leash. No. So <laughs> yeah, that's nice. I used to when I was lived in Arizona. I um 
ripped the tendons in one of my foot for, and so I was in a, like a walking boot for like three months while I healed. Oh yeah. And so I was like, my dog could never, I couldn't, he didn't, he was an English bulldog. So he didn't like to walk a lot, Yeah. but he still needs to be exercised. So I would take him to the dog park. So I would take my, I would, we'd get into the car, take my boot off, drive to the dog park, put my boot back on, take him out. Oh God. But occasionally every once in a while I'd have to like run after him cause he'd get like a little burst of energy and I'd be like gimpling along behind him in my boot. Like, stop, <laughs> wait. <laughs> oh, poor guy. But you know, he handled it well. He's the only bulldog I know that liked to run an obstacle course at the dog park. Oh, he would run crazy. the whole obstacle oh, really? course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which dog park did you take him to? Uh, we were in Arizona, um, oh, Glendale. Okay. So they had a little. Uh, yeah, they had like they a had something picture like that frame and like an A frame, uh, like a seesaw thing. He would oh, jump nice. up on a table. Yeah, and then they had like this long like ramp. It was like a sh- long A frame, and he would always go up and like take, push all the other dogs off of it and just stand <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> kind of wish they would have that here um i, I like the I like the crown beach dog park yeah it's nice um you know it's big and there's there's plenty of stuff to run around and um i take nico i was, I was taking her up to the base oh nice um, where they're going to be building that park along that 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 part of the taxiway that they're about to tear up but i used to take her out there and just uh you know let her run because yeah. there's a little in the corner there there's a bunch of sand is washed up and there's a little miniature beach so she would jump down and you know, run in the water. Nice. And she loves to do that. So, and plus, I can throw something a long distance, and she'll chase it, and she'll run, and it come back. It's a good. You can walk a solid mile if you go back and forth on that thing. Yeah, it's nice out there. I'm wondering what that. I can't wait to see what that park's going to look like. That Me too. In. I've seen some like um, renderings of it, and oh, yeah. it looks really nice. Okay. I'm excited. I mean, they got to do something with that, that that space out there. I think they're doing a pretty decent job so far. Yeah. I just wish, you know, those old uh, the old barracks and stuff around the parade ground? I wish they'd take some of those and rehab them and make them into art spaces. I was thinking the same thing. Because yeah. Alameda doesn't have, we don't, I mean, there's the Red Door oh. Gallery and Studio 23 over by 13. But those are the only like artists kind of, and that's not like artist lofts. It's just two galleries that are next right. door to each other. I'm not talking about living spaces. No, but either. we don't have any yeah. like galleries. That's what I was saying is yeah. we don't have gallery spaces on the islands. Right. Exactly. I mean, they got those, that, that little maker village over there by the base. But um, yeah, I mean, that would be great to have a, uh, yeah, have maker shops in there, you know, yeah. something where people can go and, uh, you know, either, set up their own workshops or rent tools for somebody else or from somebody else. And you have gallery space, you got space, you know, I mean, obviously it's not set up to live in, but you don't need that. You know, I mean, it'd be great if they could turn some of that stuff into affordable housing too, but yeah, I'm not holding my breath. No. Well, I mean, and it's on the base of most of it's probably like condemned and needs to be. Yeah. It's all a super fun site, which is the other reason why it'd be perfect. Uh, you know, makerspace and gallery space. I know there's a lot of there's a lot of guys out there that already have have spaces out there um, that they do stuff. But a lot of those buildings, I mean, if they're just sitting there empty and they're you know they still have the bones in them, I'd love right. to see them turned into something other than expensive condos. Yeah, that's a lot of what we have. Yeah, that's there's going to be more and more and more. And. I, when um, Danny Lopez was on with us and we talked about a bunch of Alameda history and stuff. Yeah. And he was telling me that Alameda is actually like only one square mile bigger than Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. that seems insane to me. 
like being I've been to Manhattan a bunch of times. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like this is the same. You know what I mean? And it's just the skyscrapers that make it different. Yeah, absolutely. It it, it really it, it truly is. It's like uh you feel like everywhere is just down the street from you. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, you don't feel like it is the skyscrapers. And I found that out and my jaw hit the floor. I was like, what? Right. Well, it, it, and then, but then it t- part of me kind of laughed because some people on the island, like, they're like, oh, I only, ha- I'm on the West End, so I don't go to the East End. And I'm like, oh, okay. That is very much New- like New York. <laughs> Can we talk about that for a second? Sure. And this is a Bay Area thing that I've noticed since <laughs> I got up here. Of course, you, you know, you come from a place like uh, LA where, it's a given that if you're going to do anything, you're going to be driving somewhere to do it, right? And get here, and the first thing I noticed is that if you live over on the peninsula, you don't like coming across the bridge into Oakland. Right. I have friends that's like pulling teeth getting them over here. And then I realized I'm the same way. If there's a show going on in San Francisco, I'm like, all right, where is it? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, for fuck's sake. You know what the parking is like there? Jesus, no, 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 I don't want to, okay, no, no, you know, and then, so we'll go to Oakland, but then sometimes I'll, I'll be sitting here and Rosie will say, well, hey, there's something going on over in Oakland, do you want to go to Baggies tonight or someplace like that? And Lucky's like, you mean go all the way under the tunnel and across <laughs> the, what the hell's the matter with me? Am I crazy? Like, it's just over there. You can spit and hit Oakland. Right. It takes you 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, maybe 15. Ah, it just means leaving the island. And of course, you know, I, I drive Lyft during the day. And if I could drive around, if I could drive around uh, Alameda all day and never leave the island, you would. I'd be ecstatic. <laughs> I mean, I, I end up in the suburbs all the time anyway, just because there's just as much work out there. Just what just as many passengers as there is without all the traffic. Oh, that's nice. That's so perfect. But, um, but yeah, no, I find myself even once in a while to go to Walnut Creek. I'm like, I don't want to go all the way up. It's 35 minutes, maybe, you know? Well, yeah. well, I mean, no traffic. You got through the tunnel. But know. like, it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to go all the way through the Caldecott. Like, <laughs> oh, I've had so I've, I've, I've had I've had times when it, it was so bad in the Caldecott, the. You know, the, the little map takes me over, uh, the GPS takes me over the hills. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy. And but driving it, through the hills is like a, it's like you're all of a sudden in a different world. Yeah. It's nuts when you think about it. You got a redwood forest just above one of the worst parts of Oakland. Yeah. You know? Um, uh, the one, one, of, one of the, yeah, more challenged parts of Oakland. Yeah. I don't really like to say somebody's lives in a bad neighborhood because that, that implies that all the people that live there are bad. Mm. And that's not really fair, is it? No. <laughs> but uh, let's get back to Boston. So what brought you out here? Uh, really, my cousin was out here. She was in Vallejo and she had a company out here. And mm-hmm. I hadn't seen her in a while. But I had been living at my parents' house because I had left my ex-husband. And was just kind of licking my wounds and figuring out what I was going to do next. And her dad came over to have dinner with my dad or something. And he was like, oh, you should call Tiff, you know. And I was like, oh, I will. And I talked to her on the phone. We talked for like, I don't know, 20 minutes, a half hour. So she's like, so what are you doing with your life? And I was like, I have no idea. And she's like, come out here. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she's like, I have an extra bedroom. Come out and just see if you like it. Yeah. And I was like, and she was like, I think I'm going to sell my company and I'm going to start something new. Like, come out, help me like button it up and we'll like start something new. Yeah. Because she was in cannabis and um, her company was about, she thought it was going to be bought for a ton of money. Um, and so I was like, 
I thought about it for a couple of days and three days later I was like, all right, I'm in. And three weeks later I packed up and left. Wow. I threw a bunch of shit in my car. Well, not my car. The day I decided I was moving, I got rear-ended at a red light. So. Yeah. But I was in, so I was just like, fuck it. Then the insurance company paid to ship my car out and gave me a rental. Wow. So I packed my shit up and uh, after several doctor's appointments, packed my shit up and came out. How long ago was that? Uh, February of 2020. Somehow I thought you'd lived out here a lot longer than that. Yeah, no, three years is it. Oh. Three and a half now. Oh. So I moved out, and a month later, the world shut down. <laughs> yeah, it's like I've lived I've lived in Alameda longer than you. Oh, yeah. I'm pulling rank. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. I love that we're, we're both from Boston, though. I know. That was we both a... understand the, the, the lingo out there. Yeah. I know that you're one of my favorite people to have come in and talk, because you'll start, you'll, you'll lay it on thick some nights, and it's just like, oh, yeah. oh it's home. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it, it's funny too because, like, I'm, I'm sure you're the same way. You see a, you see a, uh, you see a movie that doesn't have Ben Affleck in it. Oh, thank God. Um, <laughs> and somebody tries to do a Boston accent. Yeah, they sound like they're from New York. Yeah. Or they sound like Cliff Clavin. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that used to make me cringe and cheers when he like, "Nam." Who talks like that? Uh, maybe it's a Norm, few. <laughs> not Nam. You know, but, uh, yeah, you know, but, you know, you think about, like, the I was doing a TV the other night, and it cracked you up, and it's like, hey, uh, when, when you're in the kitchen, get me, grab me a tonic out of the icebox, will you, please? Yep. <laughs> you hear this? You should real piece of work, this one. What a hot shit. Hot shit, hot shit. What a uh, hot shit. Yeah. yeah, the terms are, the term, and the fact that everyone thinks that everyone from Boston sounds the same, we were talking about that the other night, too. There's, there's nuances. Oh, t- complete nuances. There's the doofus from Charlestown. Oh, God, yeah. You know, always oh, fucking wicked piss, adult. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, like me and Frankie, we were coming over across the rotary there, and uh, you know, they had a fucking roadblock up. I guess he had some warrants. Oh, it was fucking stupid, dog. <laughs> that is 100% accurate. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have the people from Southie whose accents are super thick, and, like, you can just hear that attitude. Oh, yeah. Hey, you ain't from here, are you? <laughs> oh, I just never seen you in here before. We don't usually cater to this kind of fucking weirdo. I'm not saying that, that you're a weirdo. <laughs> uh, you kind of are, though. What are you fucking looking at? You lose something over here? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I lived in I lived off of West Broadway in Southie for a while. That was uh, that was a trip. I lived in a I lived in a warehouse. It's a good Boston story. Mm-hmm. I love this. So I lived in a warehouse. It had been uh, been sort of uh, upgraded. So there were like apartments in there, and I was living with uh, my buddy Woody and my buddy Hank, and two two skinhead guys. And, uh, we were having problems with the local kids all the time, you know. They'd yell at us, call us freaks, and throw rocks at us. And then you chase them, and then they you run, you grab them, and one of them they start screaming for their moms. You're always scared their brothers are going to come out, you know. That so we just try to avoid everybody. There was a there was a road we could walk up where you didn't usually run into kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like so we try to run up there because it was never like older guys. It was all these little thirteen year old kids. That you can't and really do nothing worst. about. They're <laughs> worst. I mean, they all need an ass whooping, but you can't give it to them. Right. Especially not if you want all their uncles coming over. You know, that's just not going to happen. So anyway, my buddy Hank had a Vespa parked outside the, the warehouse in a designated parking area. 
and someone stole it one day. Oh. And Hank comes in and he goes, they stole my Vespa. What do I do? I'm like, well, if I was you, I'd make a police report. They'll probably laugh at you because it was a Vespa. It was a cool Vespa. But, but it's still you know, a Vespa. Yeah, we had a Vespa <laughs> for a coffee table in this place. So, you know, we're all in the scooters and everything yeah. like that. And I'm like, well, I don't know what. We could go out and look around for it, uh, but I don't know if we're going to find it or anything. We'll probably find it stripped out and, like, you know, sitting down in one of the junkyards or something. And then about a half hour later, this get a knock at the door, and it's one lady down the hall. She said, there's some little kids out here looking for you guys. I said, looking for us? She said, well, they said the bald-headed guys with the tattoos. <laughs> okay. So I go downstairs, and these kids, I swear to God, Siobhan, like seven, eight-year-old little kids, right? Mm-hmm. And I come out, and I look at them. I'm like, what do you want? I said, we have your motorcycle. <laughs> we want $500 for it. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, go fuck yourself. And I said, it ain't even worth 100 You can keep it. And then I came back in and my, Hank, my buddy Hank's like, why did you say that? <laughs> I said, just, just hold on. Right. Just hold on. They come back again. They said, we'll give it back to you for 100 and I'm like, you guys didn't steal. These kids were like, you know, little kids. So I knew they were coming for their brothers. And I thought, this is going to be hilarious. So they told us where we could meet them. And they would give it to them and get the money. So I said, you guys go make like you're going down to the bank. And I called a couple of my friends. And so they couldn't make it over in time, which sucked. Because I, I, I wanted to just show up with a bunch of guys. I had no idea what I was going to run into up there, though. So for all I knew, it was, you know, a bunch of older guys. But so it was a few of us. And we went and, <laughs> we went and one of the guys went and got went to a cash machine, got 100 bucks out. And unbeknownst to me, they went and got the cops. They told the cops that we were meeting them up there. I'm like, why are you involved in the cops, dude? <laughs> Never they're probably, the they're cops. probably their dads. Yep. Like, you're in South Boston. You don't understand this. But whatever. Okay, so we're going to... So I go up the... I walk up the street. My buddy Hank, me, and another guy, we go walking up there. And there's this pack of little kids. They're all like 13, 14, and 15. And their leader's got a crowbar. And he's about five feet tall and has a scally cap on. Looks like a cartoon Irishman. <laughs> like one of those ones, you know, like the, the would be sitting on a rum barrel and one of the old ones. Like he had that little monkey face too, you know, yep. the screwed up monkey face. But he was a little kid too, you know. He was like, You want your fucking bike? Bring him the fucking bike. You better have the fucking money. And I'm just looking at this kid. Are you serious? Holy Christ. And I'm trying not to laugh. Right. And one of the guys, or the, 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 one of the guys, that was with him, the kid whose um, bike it was, he's walking along, and he goes to hand on the money. You see the little kids come walking across the street, and this is in West, it's called West Broadway, and it's traffic, there's people everywhere, it's a Saturday afternoon, and all these little kids, there's like five of them, trying to get this Vespa, and they're coming across the street. The idea is we're just going to walk up and take the bike and go, fuck you. Right. And smack the first kid. And I see the little kid with the crowbar. And I said, I'm going to whoop this little kid's ass. I don't care. <laughs> and he's like, you eyeball me, you fat fuck. 
I was like, yeah, come a little closer with that. As I catch you, you're dead. The guys come across the street, and I looked, and this kid, he was a college kid. He's handing them money. I'm like, no, <laughs> don't hand him the money. And the kid yells, it's a setup. And I'm like, I'm going to grab the bike. And I'm thinking, okay, I have no idea what the hell is going to happen next because right. I'm going to have to drop the bike because this kid's got this crowbar. And all of a sudden, this car screeches to a halt in front of us. And these two detectives get out. And these kids just scatter like roaches. And I'm just holding this bike. And I'm like, how you doing, officer? <laughs> He's like, you're the one that called? And I said, no, I was just going to come and take the bike. And so he's like, do you know who the kids were? I was like, nah, I've never seen them before. So I walked the bike back down. And we traced a couple of the kids, but they took off. And we come back. And as I'm helping my friend put the bike back into the garage by this, this warehouse, the cops pull up, and they've got two kids in the back. And it was the one kid with the crowbar and his buddy, the little shit talker kid. Yeah. And he goes, come here, I want to see, do you, was this the, was this the ringleader here, this one? And I looked him in the eyes and he's looking me back and all of a sudden that, that mean little scrunched up Scully o Mulligan face is gone and he just looks like one of those old lady paintings with the big eyes. Oh. <laughs> I looked him right in the eye and said, I've never seen these kids before in my life. Well, I see this one coming out of church the other day, but I've never seen the other ones. And he's like, Coming out of church, huh? And like this, the cop. I'm like, look, wasn't that? He's like, okay. You know they're gonna steal it again. I was like, well, that's not even my bike. It's my roommate's. And dumbass didn't let it change. But thank you for your for saying. They weren't. It wasn't those guys. I swear to God. From that moment on, I walked down the street and a little pack of kids. They see me. They just get up. Hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. You know, all they had to do is not be a rat. Right. And they were fine with me after that. You know. It was fun for them because they saw us like swaggering around with our tattoos and our bald heads and stuff like that. And thought, oh, these guys think they're tough. Let's mess with them. Mm. You know, and that was what it was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, make your bones, as my dad would say. (laughs) It was just so funny. Them, all these little kids pushing this Vespa up the street because they were too, they were too small to one of them to hold it. You know, (laughs) it was just like, (laughs) you could hear the theme of the little rascals. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Boston's a tough city. It can be. It yeah. can be. Wow. I remember a, another buddy of mine had a had a warehouse space up in Dudley Square. Okay. In, yeah. in the Bury. And this is back when they the uh, the L was still there. It wasn't operational, but they hadn't torn it down yet. And there was a strip bar across the street. It actually, was the same guy who owned the Vespa. Okay. Later on. And we used to sit up on his roof. At this building, and there was an empty lot next door. There was a bunch of abandoned cars in there, and there were hookers out on the streets, and there was all kinds of people, crackheads. It was crazy out there. We'd sit up on the roof at night and listen to the gunfire from the projects right mm. down the street. What do you think that was? Ah, oh, no, that was that was probably Tech Nine. Uh, that was an AR-15. Ah, bullshit. <laughs> oh. Bam, bam. Oh, I guess that was a Mossberg. We just wow. sit up there doing that. And we put speakers out and just blast Marvin Gaye. And all the people <laughs> down the street just start dancing. It was fun. Yeah, it was. <laughs> There's like a, as tough as it was, there was like a a lightheartedness to all of it. Oh, for sure. Well, you know, I was, I was a street vendor in downtown Crossing for years. Oh, wow. Right up on uh, Winter Tremont Street. 
Nice. That must have um, been filled with stories. That oh, was oh boy. You could do a whole nother podcast yeah. on that. Oh, downtown crossing, like the first time I remember the first time I went down there as like a kid, like with no parents. Like take the train in and like just being like, Oh my lord, what is this world? Just there's like business people and crackheads like right next door to each other. Like oh, sure. crackheads like you know, doing what the crackheads do, do while a businessman is talking about, like, scheduling a meeting for, I don't know, millions of dollars. Oh, for sure. Well, you know, um, in, the, in the 80s when Reagan did all these budget cuts to state hospitals. Mm. Um, McLean closed down. Yeah, McLean's and all those places closed down. And you know what they did is they just gave everybody bus tickets to send them to downtown Boston. Yep. So all these schizophrenics and all these... You know, there was there was more people than they had the resources to deal with, so we had names for all these people. Yeah, because they're, they're <laughs> the, the crazy bums that were out there. You know, there was Keith Moon, there was Calamity Jane, there was the guy they called Pig. Um, there was uh, there were all kind of these, kind of these crazy guys that were down there. But this one lady we called her Calamity Jane. Her name was Anne Marie, and she was like a she was like a crazy old drunk lady, but she'd always come up. I had a nickname. They everybody called me Boots back then, and she she always come up like, "How you doing, shoes? How you doing, shoes?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I have." It's like Anne Marie. What do you want? What do you want? Is like you know she, yeah. I just said, "You want a dollar? You get lost." She's like, I don't want your fucking money. <laughs> She'd hang out. I was like, "I'm trying to run business here. Can you right. please take it somewhere?" But so she disappeared one day because what happened was we're down, we're downtown as outside of Fine Lanes. Yeah, we Fine Lanes and George Marsh right down there. And there's where the cops always hung out. And there was a couple mounted cops that day. And there was a regular cop. And one of the cops was sitting there. And apparently, his holster was unbuttoned. Uh-oh. It was unsnapped. Nobody noticed it except her, Calamity Jane. She was over there talking to some of the vendors. And then she, 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 she I see her go, shh. She put her finger to her lips and went, shh. I see her walking over. She's going to walk up to the cop. What the hell is she going to do? She walked up, and all of a sudden, I was sorry. She reached. And she grabbed the gun out of his holster. Holy shit! It was. Uh, he caught it back and fired around in the air before they just jumped and tackled her to the ground. Everybody ducked. The horses are like, "Oh shit!" And we're all just standing there, we're like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" And you know. And it was the worst because they were really, you know, one cop was really mad because he'd just gotten his, his service weapon taken by an elderly, homeless you know, woman. homelessly bag lady. So he they had to calm him down. Like, all right, leave her alone. That's enough. That's enough. And it was, cops were different than maybe, I don't know. I, I shouldn't say that. They probably weren't. But. We just know about it more now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But like. <laughs> It was just watching that, and then you didn't see her again after that. And chances are, she did. They probably just, you know, they probably locked her up. We stopped stuff like that would happen all the time. <laughs> I used to have a homeless guy. I used to work on lands. One of my first cocktailing jobs was on Lansdowne Street. Oh, okay. I worked at Jillian's. Jillian's, okay. Um, and so we had uh, a bunch of guys out front, obviously homeless guys that would work like the crowds and stuff. Yeah. And there was one guy that was super nice. He would never take my money, but he would, I would bring him like old clothes and stuff. His name yeah. was T and he'd always walk me to my car. Cause he was like, Oh honey, you work hard for your money, just as hard for your money as I do. But then one night I went to give money to another guy and he like ripped me a new one. 
and he wouldn't t- and he like hated this guy and then i realized like all the other homeless people hated this one homeless guy and this homeless guy was like in a wheelchair out front and, like i felt bad for him and like but all the other people and all the other like bums in the neighborhood hated this one dude you could never figure out why and nobody would ever say anything and then one night i'm at work super fucking late and i see the guy get up out of his wheelchair pop it in the trunk of a brand new caddy and drive away there were those. And I was shocked as shit. But then I, so the next time I saw T, I was like, T, what's up? Like, that dude's not even fucking homeless. And he's like, I don't know that baby girl. I didn't tell you that. I'm like, no, no, I saw him the other night. And he's like, that's why I tell you not to give him money. And I was like, why don't you just, and like, I went up to that dude and was like, dude, I know your racket. Like, I'll make sure all of our staff knows. Yeah. But like, they wouldn't rat him out because you can't be a rat. <laughs> well, yeah, we had to, we, we there was a there was a methadone clinic down the street from where I had my cart set up, so we get all these junkies come up and try to steal from us all the time. And it was really funny too because between me and the other guys that ran the carts, um, it was often you would see one of us chasing somebody down the street. I had a stick. I call it the Board of Education. Because, <laughs> you know, someone steal from us, like, what are you going to do? Whop! Right. It was a different time. Yeah. But it would be really funny, all these office workers and, and, and stuff coming in, and you'd just see one of us running down the street after some guy, tackling him, smacking him around and taking the stuff back. And the cops would come up the street and go, was that you down the street earlier? He said, wasn't me. He's like, okay. Right. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was it was crazy times, and then the food not bombs table it set up on Park Street, and that was a nightmare on a Friday afternoon because all the crazy people would come up, and then they'd start coming around the carts, so we'd be always pushing them away, like chasing them away, like get out of here, get out of here. <laughs> what did you sell at your cart? It was like costume jewelry. Oh, nice. Yeah, like uh, the guy I, I actually, I worked for a guy. He'd get the stuff down in New York. This is before Amazon or, or Alibaba or anything like that. If you wanted that shit, you had to go down to Midtown Manhattan to the jewelry district and buy all that stuff and bring it back up. Right. And then put it together. So that's why I said put together earrings on the cart and sell them and along with like this Indian costume jewelry and all that type of stuff. And, you know, it was... It was fun. It was a big slacker job. Yeah. Got, it was hell in the winter. You know? it's good, yeah. That's got to stop. But around Christmas, we'd bank it, you know. Yeah, if you didn't freeze your balls off. The guy next door to me was, uh, it, it was, we had one guy next door to me. He was like a Maravillito from Cuba, came up in the 80s, sold popcorn and lemonade. The other guy was, uh, he, he was a white dude with an Indian wife, and he had a, they were all part of the, the Hare Krishna temple. And then it was a flower cart. Those people were really cool. Right. Got along with them great. Um, There's a ton of Harry Krishners in Boston yeah. back in the day. I don't see them any, as much anymore when I'm back. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it was a big thing when us, with us in the punk scene back then. Like on Sundays, we go to the Sunday feast at the, the Iskon Temple up in the back bay. And uh, yeah, they'd sit there and listen to their little lectures about krishna consciousness and stuff like that and then they just had this awesome food yeah and then they play the tablas and they chant and we got to know a few of the devotees and uh yeah some of the devotees were just punk rock kids that uh got into it there's a couple of them from new york one of them used to sing for the chromags oh wow yeah back in the day um 
Yeah, I got along with these guys. I see them all the time on the street. So it was, it was, they were very cool people. You know, I, everybody talked about them brainwashing. I don't remember anybody getting brainwashed in that. You know, that wasn't my deal. It wasn't my gig. I wasn't really into it, but any of that stuff was never trusted organized religion. But the guy that worked next to me, the guy that had the cart next to me, Danny, is one of the nicest guys I ever knew. You know? Right. So yeah, it was a, it was a great time. Hmm. Not being part of organized religion was probably a good thing, especially in Boston. In the, <laughs> I grew up Catholic, uh, so you know, yeah. went through confirmation and CCD and all that shit. Yeah, but people sure start to make uh, priest jokes, and lately, like I keep hearing, like, "Well, she's from Boston," and I'm uh, like, "Oh, that's uh, not really what I want to be associated with." But yeah, mm-hmm. my sisters, uh, my sister and brother-in-law are devout Catholics and raised their kids as Catholics, but. They got completely uh, disillusioned by the whole Pittsburgh diocese. They're from Pittsburgh. Uh, the Pittsburgh diocese thing and all the cover-ups. Yeah. Like, it really, you know, it really kind of showed them a different side of it. Mm. You know, now, even now, I'm like, you know, I know the priests are like cops, you know. Some people join the police force because they really want to be a force for good in their community. Right. But the problem is... They're not, they don't matter as much as the ones that are, you know, disrespecting the public. You know, they're, they're abdicated their responsibilities to the public and to, to be abusive and criminal. It's the same with the, the Catholic priests. Some people, some yep. guys join the priesthood. A lot of people, most of them join the priesthood because they wanted to serve God, serve their communities and everything like that. Right. Yeah. But. It's the ones that betrayed that level of trust and then covered it up. I mean, that's unforgivable. Yeah. And that's all I, anybody's ever going to remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. I met Cardinal Law a few times, and I didn't like him from the start. And I told everybody he was an asshole. <laughs> and then when I, the spotlight stuff broke and all that, oh, yeah, people would be like, you can't say that. He's a cardinal. I'm like, he's a dick. Yeah. Like, have you met him? Have you had a conversation with him? No, you haven't, have you? I'm like, I have, and he's a terrible person. <laughs> and that yeah. was before I knew all about the... You know, I mean, there was rumblings, but I didn't know the, uh, the, the amount of cover-up and what he was involved in until after Spotlight came out and all that stuff came out. Yeah. And uh, I was just like, what, I felt so vindicated <laughs> in the worst way. But I'm like, see, I told you he's a terrible person. I have to imagine that in order to raise up the ranks of uh, an organization like the Catholic Church, get up to raise up in that hierarchy, you have to be a real piece of shit. Yeah. At some point or another, yeah. you know. Um yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like whenever you raise up into offices like that, you have to become some kind of piece of shit, unfortunately. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Yeah. I always, like, am hopeful that there are people out there that won't get corrupted, but then they can't ever make it as far if they don't. Well, I mean, the Catholic Church has been corrupt since its inception. Oh, yeah. It's all about power. Mm-hmm. Power yeah. and money. Power and money, exactly. Well, the two tend to come hand in hand. You know, yeah, money gives you power. Yeah, money, power gives you money. Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But it just to, I did have a good priest, and I, we had a couple good priests in my in my like high school, college. Oh yeah, sure, me too. Most of them were drunk, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I remember our our priests, uh, your parish priests were, um, you know, they were old Irish guys. You know. Um, they did, you know, they, they, they did boxing. They coached boxing yeah. at the YMCA. They were not, 
you know, they weren't these slimy, you know, pederasts. We had a, we had a, there's a Benedictine monastery near my house. Sometimes, sometimes we go to mass there when I was a kid. And that was really cool. These Benedictine monks, and you talk to a few of them, and you, I mean, you could tell these guys were closeted gay mm-hmm. guys. You know, um, well, that's what you did. You know, right. if you if if you were raised Catholic, that that was your option. It was you know, take a vow of celibacy, turn from your life of sin. What a a crock of shit. What a damaging crock of shit. But yeah, you know, it's it was what it was. It was the it was the time we grew up in, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wild sometimes when you think about how far we've come in some respects for that, and then how there are so many people fighting to go back to that time. Yeah, I, you know, it's how far we've come. But then again, on the other hand, we've kind of kind of going backwards at the same time. Yeah, it's weird. And I will never, I've talked about this a couple times now on this pod, but like, I will never understand one, hating someone for the color of their skin. Like, how do you hate someone before you know them? Two, if you don't like what someone's doing, like if you don't like a trans person, look the other way. Like, why does what they do in their pants or their bedroom or like their life, why does that have anything to do with you? Yeah. And, you know, there's been homophobia forever, of course, you know, um, this is just a new breed of it. And I, you know where it comes from. It comes from people like Tucker Carlson, Fox News. They spread this stuff. Right. But like most homophobes are actually homophobic because they're homos. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. I sincerely believe that. Like that you you hate what you are, not you know what I yeah. mean? Like Or you hate what you're told to hate. Right. Like most of the people now they're freaking out about drag queens reading the kids. Wouldn't have given two shits two years ago. No. They hear about it on Fox News and it flips a you know, if if you're going to get rid of anything, you should get rid of that. I mean, I, I don't even think that they fall under the purview of freedom of speech anymore. Well, I know that they were a couple of weeks ago, I think it is now, that they were ruled like so, there's some kind of lawsuit going on. And it, like it was proven that they, they like they shouldn't be called Fox News anymore because it's not a news station. Yeah. And I was like, well, OK, but that doesn't help heal all the damage that's already done. Or no. there are going to be people that keep watching it and keep believing like it is news and not just opinions. No, you need to take people like Tucker Carlson and put them out on an island or throw them overboard from a boat with a bucket of chum in the water. <laughs> or I'm not like, planning on doing that, by no, the way. No, no. And I get the I get the desire behind that, but I don't know if it fixes anything because I don't know if Tucker Carlson actually even believes all that stuff he spouts. Oh, he doesn't. I think it just makes him money. Oh no! It, it makes it, it even almost worse. Right? Like if he <laughs> believed it, I could I could get behind it some. But the fact that I think he's probably just a lying piece of shit. Well, most of these people don't have an ideology. That's right. the thing. They don't. There's no ideology behind it. It's just power and hate and entertainment. It's the most twisted, fucked up shit that we've ever had in our in this country. Yeah. Um, and it's it's come to define us. You know, unfortunately. And how that it's come to find us that that and how people have gotten so connected to their idea that they think like their idea is their personality. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's 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 an identity thing now. Yeah, I don't know where that happened. I don't know when that happened. It, I mean, it it just it's like I guess it's sort of like being a frog in a pot of boiling water. Um, you know, you don't really notice it, and all of a sudden, one day you're around like, holy crap! Yeah, people just got crazy. I don't know, but there's 
still good in the world. So, there is, yeah, and hopefully more people that. will just learn how to embrace their weird. Yeah. Hey, we live on the beach, and we're surrounded by palm trees. Yeah. What I know. There? Did you ever think, because sometimes when I'm here, and I, like, step out on my patio, and I can see the beach from my patio, like, I think, how the fuck did I get here? Every day. And, like, sometimes I can hear my dad going, not kid, not bad for a kid from Boston, huh? Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just, you know, it's like, Ray, Rosie's good at reminding me when I'm in a bad mood. It's like, look where we are. It's like, yep, no, that's great. We, we we tell each other that all the time. Yeah. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I mean, we came up here for her work. We came out to, to California. I, the only thing that I regret is that I didn't come out here, you know, 25 years ago. I have that same regret. In 2005, I moved to, from Boston to Arizona. And yeah. I, I think in my brain, I thought after Arizona, I'd come out to California. And it just didn't And happen. then, uh, my ex-husband, he, we were together. We'd moved out to Arizona. He wanted to go to motorcycle school. He'd gone to, through school. He wanted to go back to school for something. And I was like, fuck it, let's go. Yeah. So he's like, Florida or Arizona? And I was like, I'm not going to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. One, it's too humid. Two, it's way too close to Boston. Yeah. And like, you have a family like, because my family, I'm a fucking stereotype from Boston. I hate it, but I am one. Yeah. You know? And so I was like... I can't go anywhere in the city without knowing someone. If I go to Florida, it's not going to be much better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it just won't be. And so I was like, we're going to Arizona. And so we went to Arizona. And then when he was finished with school and stuff, he really wanted to move back to New York. Right. And okay. I was like, all right, let's go. So you lived in New York City? I lived, no, I lived in the middle of nowhere, New York. Uh, um, just out, if you go straight out the Mass Pike all the way, it was like the second exit once you got into New York. Oh, wow. Yeah. There was one stoplight and two prisons in my town. Oh, God. Yeah. Two prisons. Two prisons. Yeah. And that was really it. We had a little grocery store that we used to call Grand Useless because half the time when you went there, it didn't have whatever you needed. So you'd have to go 45 minutes in either direction to one of the, like, Catskills or the Catskill or Hudson or um, Albany to get stuff. Oh, you went crazy out there. (laughs) Yep. I can imagine it. Yeah. And I mean, it was beautiful and there were a lot of good people, but there was a lot of people that I just didn't jive with. Right. Just a lot of small town mentality. And a lot of those people had never left that town. I could. Yeah, I can imagine it. You know, they lived all within, which to me, like, I was talking to someone one day up there and a chick that was from there. And she was like, you know, you have to remember, like, a lot of these people haven't left this town and they've only lived like blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, my parents have lived in the same fucking five square miles their entire life. And they don't think like this. Yeah. And she was like, but you live in Boston and we live here. Yeah. Well, city that it's different. It's, it's and I different was just like, you're, yeah, you're constantly exposed to stuff. Even if you stay within the same five block area, your entire life stuff comes to you. Right. You know, that's it's different out there. And I can imagine living in a town where most of the people are, are employed as COs. Yep. So that's great. Yeah. It made for fascinating stories because, you know me, I love to hear people's stories and people's things and ask. But, like, also I would be like, so wait, you just treat them like animals? And they'd be like, that's not what you say. And I'm like, but that's what I'm asking. <laughs> Yeah, but of you course know, they like, do. They're not, they don't get paid shit either. Right. And like I would point out sometimes when they were just assholes and they'd be like, that's not the story. And I'd be like, but that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> so I didn't always, <laughs> I wasn't always very popular. Like I could sit out on my 
sometimes I could hear the bells at my house from the prisons, but like one of my friends, we'd sit out on their their porch like, having beers and you'd hear like all the announcements from the prisons and stuff. And then oh, on the other side, you'd hear like the school announcements and I'd be like, this is just weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can hear that. You can, you can hear the school, the school bells from, from here, from the school next door. Oh yeah. It's just, I think it's kind of funny because it's not a bell anymore. It's that weird. Don, 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 don. Yeah. For like the, I know I live directly right next door to a school, but for the first like month I was here, I was like, what is that noise? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, it's the school next door. <laughs> yeah. I like to take, well, during the summer when the kids aren't in there, I like to, sometimes I'll take Nico out in the back. Oh, yeah. And, and run around out there. There's people all the time early in the mornings with their dogs in the field yeah. or late at night. Yeah. And then during the day, it's all just the kids. There's a bunch of, bunch of kids that hang out in the corner where I park my car. It's funny how they come out to that car. They always see me, and then they kind of huddle over like they're doing something. I'm like, dude, I don't care what you're doing. Yeah, like- <laughs> they're all like they're all like sixth, seventh grade kids right. too. So it's like, what could you possibly be getting up to? Right in the here? parking like, lot in the yeah. middle of the day. Oh. It was, it's a playground. Oh yeah, you know they did not, they're not getting high or anything else either. Like that, they're just sort of doing whatever little kids at that age do. Yeah, they're like secret. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, relax. Scary adult coming. You're busted. Yeah, well, I probably am a scary adult. I mean, I don't engage with the kids. That would be weird. Yeah. You know, like, who's that strange older guy standing on the other side of the fence of the playground talking to him? No, I'm not that guy. Okay? <laughs> yeah, don't be that guy. No. <laughs> then you have to go on a list. It's a whole thing. <laughs> uh, so maybe I should just get an old ice cream truck with a big clown's head on it and park it. <laughs> I would run away. Put free hugs <laughs> on the side of it. <laughs> I would run scared. I was never afraid of clowns, but we had like this, it's got to be an urban legend of the the clowns in a black van going around stealing kids in the 80s and 90s in Boston. Uh, that, that, that probably goes back to wait as long as there's been vans. Oh, God. I mean, we did have some creepy guys coming through like the neighborhoods and stuff, but there was one that story about clowns in a van and it was like the scariest shit ever. <laughs> and sometimes someone would be like, I saw it in a van, and we'd all like run and hide for like 20 minutes and come out and be like, You think we're good? <laughs> well, there was a thing. I remember this thing a couple of years ago where they, some, some idiots were going around just like dressing like clowns and standing yes. in the woods with, you know, and then so people would take videos of them and then they'd run back into the woods. And so everybody thought there's murderous clowns around here. Yeah. I was like, Dude, you pull that with me. I'm just going to. You know, I'm going to pull that mask off and beat you with it. Yeah. It's a good way to get yourself killed, especially out here. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know, listen, you, you, you sit out there dressed like, you know, dressed like Pennywise in the woods. Someone's liable to shoot you. Yeah. You know. And probably get away with it. You know, like, these people, even though they have guns, probably don't have the sense to realize that you're just some 17-year-old kid bored trying to scare people because you want to get tiktok video yeah can you imagine like you can't ding dong ditch anymore you'd get killed like there's so many things now that you can't even think about doing that we would do as kids that like light a bag of dog shit on fire and put it on the porch that was a classic um you know firecrackers throw firecrackers on the porch those little uh snappy ones that you would throw at someone's feet yeah yeah oh i was we we just take Straight firecracker. Oh yeah. Bam, bam, bam. Um, oh, this lady. She had a. She had one of those old fashioned milk cans on her porch. You know how people would do yeah. that. I remember. She, 
sticking a sticking an M80 in one of those things and putting the lid back on. Boom! boom. <laughs> and we were watching across the street, and we didn't even run right away because we we're like, "Oh wow, that did a lot of damage." <laughs> Like, not funny, oh, we, but it we is. fucked up. I yeah, know. Not funny, but it is. It, you know, the stupid things we did when we were kids. It was like, oh, that was no good. Yeah. I just saw like a great meme thing on Facebook or Instagram the other day. And it was like this like kid. He was like, I keep hearing all these people saying like they used to drink from the hose. And he's like, what? Were sinks not available? And it cuts to this older chick. And she's like, no, Josh, sinks weren't available because we weren't allowed in the house. <laughs> It's true. And she's like, legitimately, they had to put a commercial on at 10 o'clock that says, parents, do you know where your kids are? Yeah. And I started laughing because I was like, oh, my God, that's so true. <laughs> yeah. Not until the, the streetlights went on. When the streetlight came on, your ass got home. Yeah. I, we, had a, we had a bell. We had a, a bell that my, my dad would ring. Mm. And it was like this big brass bell. And, and like that was, a, you'd hear it. You hear it, ding, 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 ding. It was time to go. Yeah. And several other people had the same thing. They had different. T- t- one lady had a cowbell. She hear that. Yeah. They're gone. But yeah, we stayed out at night. We play bloody murder and tag, flashlight tag, and stuff like that. Yeah. During the summer, you know, and and rode our bikes everywhere. And you know, I I know everybody has a podcast where they talk about how we used to do it. We live right by the beach too. So we we would mess around down by the beach. Yeah, you know we got in trouble once for building a raft and deciding that we were gonna build a raft like Tom Sawyer. <laughs> and so we got a bunch of milk, we got a bunch of milk cartons and you know like the milk jugs, whatever. And we found some floats down by the beach and we actually built a raft, tied it together with rope, and started floating out to sea. Oh my god! And with we had an oar and then someone dropped the oar, so we were just drifting. And we hadn't really thought, yeah. Know, at eight, you hadn't really thought that far out. So we got about 200 yards out, and you know, before finally somebody's like, what are those kids doing out there? <laughs> so uh, somebody had to go, somebody, somebody finally had the presence of mind to go get a motorboat and come out and get us. That's smart. But by that time, somebody else had called the Coast Guard. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so the Coast Guard showed up. Um. And you know, they have a little cutter. There was a Coast Guard base, like two towns over, one town over. And they came out. And then there was a helicopter flew over. Boy, did we get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. We're sitting down on the beach being like getting yelled out by these people that are down on the beach. That wasn't really smart what you did. And all of a sudden, you know, you see that you see that, that boat kind of float float up. And then you see the helicopter going over. And then the boat comes up. It was like a Zodiac type boat with the Coast Guard guys. <laughs> they come up and get our names and stuff like that that night. Mm. Yeah, I, I got one across the back. Oh. <laughs> That's amazing. With you. <clears throat> oh. So do you have any big shows coming up? I know you haven't gotten into the Tiki stuff, Tiki pop-ups yet, but do you have any shows coming up where you're selling your stuff? Well, not till November. Um, I got We got... One at uh, it's the Punks Parade out at Faction Brewing. Oh, nice! Um, uh, before that, um, I will be selling my stuff. Mad Buddha on Etsy. Nice. It's M A D B U D D H A shop on Etsy. Just look it up. And uh, I've got T-shirts. I've got mugs. I've got various different kinds of designs. And coming up, I'm going to have a bunch of lamps and stuff like that. That's um, awesome. Packing and shipping that stuff is crazy, but. 
I do. I've got shrunken head themed lamps. I've got uh, I've got a big rat fink lamp I made. Awesome. Yeah. So I I have a bunch of that, those those fine housewares out there as well. So, nice. All yeah. right. Well, we'll have people uh, link to your. Do you have a website too, or just the Etsy store? Just the Etsy store right now. Um, I'm sure that's I, enough. Yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be a, a, a whole website coming up. I'm still working on on the details. I'm gonna be selling other stuff too, like uh, be doing some third party sell, sales too. Just oh, nice keychains and yeah. random stuff like that, patches and junk like that. That's awesome. Yeah, all your punk antique needs. Yes, and maybe some oddities. Yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks, Dave, for hanging out. My pleasure. All right, y'all. Check out Dave's site, Mad Buddha, and uh, follow him on Instagram. Absolutely. And uh, go find your joy today, and I'll talk to you next week.